The state is the ultimate arbiter in every case of conflict that arises, including conflicts involving the state itself. Now, if you hear this type of definition, uh, you immediately realize that this is a very unique type of institution. Just imagine that you get together with some friends and suggest that as a solution of social problems, in every case of conflict that I have with you, I will be the ultimate judge who is right and wrong, including also in cases of conflict that I start with you. This is why all states are interested in taxation. We all know that if we have a conflict with the state that the state has actually caused, it is agents of the state that then decide whether they were right in hitting you on the head or they were not right. And you can predict, of course, what their decision by and large will be. Taxation. If such an institution exists, and it does exist, then the consequence will be continuous expropriation and exploitation of property owners. So there is then an alternative source of income to the state besides taxes and that is trying to gain control over the production of money itself. This is why, this is why all states are interested in taxation. We all know that if we have a conflict with the state that the state has actually caused, it is agents of the state that then decide whether they were right in hitting you on the head or they were not right. And you can predict, of course, what their decision by and large will be. Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on the No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major audio podcasters in Odyssey and Rumble. Rumble, Rumble, Rumble. Really trying to push that. Uh, I've been only posting, uh, well, not only, but posting pretty much almost exclusively on YouTube for the time being, or not YouTube, but Rumble for the time being uh, due to a recent strike. And uh, I mean, I technically can post there, but I just, I want to wait for it to expire. Figure whatever, good opportunity to build up my Rumble. Why, why chance screwing over my, uh, my YouTube like that, but you know, so point being definitely go check out the rumble, but with this series, I will be sure to put it up on uh, YouTube because it's already part of a playlist. So 
it'd just be a pain in the ass to do it otherwise. So, you know, but still please go check out the Rumble. It'll be up there as well. Also, the stuff you've been missing. Uh, now we're finally getting back into theory uh, a little bit. I've been on a, on a roll with conspiracy stuff. i to try to get back to my theory roots a little bit. And so here we are, live reading, part 15, uh, Democracy, the God that Failed. Uh, I do want to remind you guys, uh, that that little intro you guys heard is from Romero Synth. He has a bunch of other stuff. He's got like a Kinsella one. He's got a bunch of other Hoppo ones. Uh, but yeah, definitely go check him out on YouTube. Uh, I do, you know, I know they're a little bit lengthy, but you know, whatever. Fast forward if you're, I mean, these aren't like going live unless you're a patron. So fast forward. Uh, so just a reminder, but I just thought they were dope. And, uh, you know, so I figured I'd make them a part of this series. Uh, but yes, uh, you know, you guys know what the deal is with the live readings. My guest today is Toad. Uh, I do want to remind the people uh, what's what, how this works, uh, what the logistics of this are. Uh, typically how this works is, like I already mentioned for my patrons, is a live stream. It gets released roughly or gets put out roughly a week early for my patrons, and I put it out you know, later, a week later, for my uh, for the public. Uh, so if you want to get that early content, and there's other perks too, uh, but the, you know at the lowest level, two bucks, that's, that gets you the early episodes. Uh, and that's patreon.com, just no way Jose 2020. Greatly would appreciate if you want to support. If you don't, that's fine. Wait a week for it to come out. It is what it is. Uh, but yes, I do, and you know, at the highest level, that's my sponsors. My sponsors, you know, for one, the guy I just mentioned, Toad, uh, at Targeting Toad, whatever, he'll give his plugs later. Uh, then I also have Abrogate, at Abrogate D's on Twitter. I definitely go follow him. Then Kevin B. Clark, a full-time guitarist and private music teacher in the New York area. So if that sounds like something you need, if you need some guitarist for a gig, or you need somebody to teach you how to play guitar, he's your guy, and you're in New York. And then I also have at Z-O-V-E-R-A-C-K on Twitter, at, or my buddy Zach Overacker. And yeah, uh, like I said, Democracy the God That Failed, live reading. We're going to go and get into it today. One last thing, toplobster.com. That's where you can get my uh, Terrence Hickey Didn't Kill Himself shirts, Kenneth Trendy Didn't Kill Himself shirts, or just a No Way Jose shirt, uh, or other stuff. He has plenty of other con stuff there, Tower Gang stuff, a bunch of other shows, non-show related stuff. But yeah, that's enough of that. Let's go ahead and get my buddy Toad in here. What's up, my man? Oh, yeah. How you doing? What's up? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, doing all right. I'm ready to get back into it. We're, you know, I kind of gave uh, all the people that were actually following along with this a little bit of blue balls. I'm actually kind of surprised. The I always assumed the numbers would be god-awful on this, uh, you know, because we're on part 15, but not bad. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. These aren't like, you know, viral sensations, but surprisingly, but... pretty decent, pretty consistent, good numbers. I'm, I'm being for a friggin' live reading 15 parts in, yeah. you know, <laughs> but you know, but go ahead. It's also not going to get your YouTube nuked because it's educational. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I mean, and yeah, we're just reading and, and I don't know. I guess we've said slightly edgy stuff in here, but nothing too crazy, um, you know. And uh, But yeah, so, but anyways, yeah, you ready to get in this, bud? Uh, we're on chapter yeah. nine today. Uh, and yeah, let's, uh, let's go yeah. ahead and get into it. Uh, I guess I'll let you read the first page this time around. All right. Ooh, I get to start. Maybe yeah. for the first time ever. Yeah, this chapter is on cooperation, tribe, city, and state. All right. Uh, Ludwig von Mises has explained the evolution of society, of human cooperation under the division of labor as the combined result of two factors. These are first, the fact of differences among men, labor and or the inequalities of the geographical distribution of the nature given factors of production land and second the recognition of the fact that work performed under the division of labor is more productive than work performed in self-sufficient isolation he writes if and as far if and as far as labor under the division of labor 
yeah, labor under the division of labor is more productive than isolated labor. And if, and as far as man is able to realize this fact, human action itself tends toward cooperation and association. Man becomes a social being, not in sacrificing his own concerns for the sake of a mythical Moloch society, but in aiming at an improvement in his own welfare. Experience teaches that, his, that this condition, higher productivity achieved under division of labor, is present because its cause, the inborn inequality of men and the inequality in the geographical distribution of the natural factors of production is real. Thus, we are in a position to comprehend the course of social evolution. So yeah, most of that was a quote from Mises um, yep. from human action, I believe. Um, generally speaking, we work better together, uh, generally speaking. Is right, so yeah. yeah, so kind of two points, basically. One is that uh, humans are inherently unequal, and he was uh, talking about uh, the distribution of property essentially uh, being unequal, but humans are just unequal in their skill level, the property they own, anything like that. And as a result of that, as such, uh, they must also cooperate with each other. Uh, it makes sense to trade. It's mutually beneficial to do so. And that's basically the point in that. Yes, <laughs> pretty simple point, quote, but yeah, it's surprisingly it's lost on many, but go on. Yeah, and you know Rothbard, of course, goes in more about the the nature of uh, the inequality of humans and how to eliminate that fact uh, would require massive force and stuff like that. It's just a fact of nature that that is the case. Mm -hmm. um, all right, several points are worth emphasizing here in order to reach a proper understanding of this fundamental insight of Mises's into the nature of society. Points which will also help us realize some first preliminary conclusions regarding the role of sex and race in social evolution. First, it is important to recognize that inequalities with respect to labor and or land are a necessary, but by no means a sufficient condition for the emergence of human cooperation. If all humans were identical and everyone were equipped with identical natural resources, everyone would produce the same qualities and quantities of goods, and the idea of exchange and cooperation would never enter anyone's mind. However, the existence of inequalities is not enough to bring about cooperation. There are also differences in the animal kingdom, most notably the difference of sex, gender, among members of the same animal species, as well as the difference between the various species and subspecies, races. Yet there is no such thing as cooperation among animals. To be sure, there are bees and ants who are referred to as animal societies, but they form societies only in a metaphorical sense. The cooperation between bees and ants is assured purely by biological factors, by innate instincts. They cannot not cooperate as they do. And without some fundamental changes in their biological makeup, the division of labor among them is not in danger of breaking down. In distinct contrast, the cooperation between humans is the outcome of purposeful individual actions of the conscious aiming at the attainment of individual ends. As a result, the division of labor among men is constantly threatened by the possibility of disintegration. All right, I, I would push back slightly here against him. I guess this is being a little bit pedantic. Uh, the, um, the maybe not pedantic, I think he used the wrong <laughs> word there. Uh, God, I'm, I can't think of it. Uh, that might be the right word, whatever. It might e be. I don't either know what way, say. Um, either way um, the, the animal thing, I know it's a silly little point, but I would say yeah. that's a, that might be up for debate. That's, that's a 
because uh, I feel like some, especially some of the smarter animals, you could make a better make a case that they uh, they do do what he's saying. They don't. Uh, although, how at what point do you call that innate instincts? Like I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a sliding scale as you get to more intelligent animals. I think if that makes sense, it's not like there's this magical spot where, like, because you know, you look at like things like orcas where they're extremely and dolphins, and they they usually operate in packs and they're extremely intelligent. Mm -hmm. So it would make sense. A lot of that stuff is kind of conscious or purposeful actions they are engaging in. but whatever that's being silly yeah, uh, mean, that's yeah. whatever who cares that's not the really the point but i do this is clearly i know we started with a very simple point it still sounds very simple where we're at now but if you kind of draw this point out to its inevitable conclusion it kind of slaps down egalitarianism communism stuff like that because I mean, and, and this is like just simple stuff. I mean, this is like if, you know, the whole idea that if everyone was identical and we all had the same stuff, there'd be no reason for us to interact with each other uh, right. or to at least in, engage in like, you know, trade and stuff or stuff along those lines or division <laughs> of labor. Uh, but, you know, we're all different. And as such, that means we're not equal. Uh, and so this idea of equality is kind of silly and you know just because we're not equal doesn't mean that like anyone's ne that's not like a bad thing it's just a you know a, just a reality it is what it is but uh yeah i don't know if you yeah. have anything to say we can i, I can yeah i mean up. i think he brought up the animal point i think just kind of making the point that humans are like Different. moral moral mm -hmm. actors whereas uh the other animal species are not I think essentially is the difference that he's making there where he's essentially kind of alluding to the fact that well if you have governments in the equation and you have force uh entering the equation that that kind of fucks with everything and it fucks up uh this uh idea of human action and uh the incentives kind of being in place for people to cooperate uh, correctly i suppose yeah. i think that's kind of what he's getting at and yeah i had already mentioned uh prior to him even saying it that we were talking about like the fact that people not only have like different resources uh but they have different abilities and he got into mm -hmm. that there and then he did also mention that of course there's differences between the sexes and the races as well which is going to get the people on the left pissed off again as usual yep but uh, i mean it's just a truth of human yep. nature i mean there are inherent differences yes uh Within the animal kingdom, then, the difference between the sexes can only be said to be a factor of attraction, of reproduction and proliferation, whereas the differences of the species and subspecies can be referred to as a factor of repulsion, of separation, or even of fatal antagonism. Of, or of evasion, of struggle, and annihilation. Moreover, within the animal kingdom, it makes no sense to describe the behavior resulting from sexual attraction as either consensual love or non-consensual rape nor does it make any sense to speak of the relationship between the members of different species or subspecies as one of hostility and hatred or of criminal and victim in the animal kingdom there only exists interaction which is neither cooperative social behavior nor criminal anti-social behavior uh yeah no uh, to expand that is yeah i can tell you you know as an animal breeder like yeah them or just like observing animals in general i guess yeah. the, he kind of makes the point with love or rape yeah. it's kind of like yeah you know i mean i don't know i mean i guess yeah, yeah sometimes Your cats are raping yeah. each other man well uh, not really the chicks do kind of want it but it is like <laughs> there are definitely oh, animals and there are have been like males that we've had that just kind of take what they want but i mean usually the chicks the, the girl cats kind of like you know do sort of want it but you know like there are plenty of animals that just 
basically right. But is it really? Right? I mean, it's just kind of the the law. That's what animals do, and and I don't know. It's not to speak yeah, of it in moral terms with an animal is a little bit silly, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm point. just kind of making the points like before he even throws mm-hmm. them out there. Like he's making the point that animals don't mm-hmm. like adhere to morality. Yep, yep. So yeah, that's that's fair uh, to make that point. Uh, the cooperation point, I don't know. And I don't know, for all I know, maybe there is some animal out there that, you know, operates a societal type of uh, makeup and they, uh, and they do essentially have some level of morality. But that is getting very nitpicky. This is, I get the point he's making and it holds up. Um, as Mises writes, there's interaction, reciprocal influence between all parts of the universe, between the wolf and the sheep that he devours, between the germ and the man it kills, between the falling stone and thing upon which it falls. Society, on the other hand, always involves men acting in cooperation with other men in order to let all participants attain their own ends. In addition to an inequality of labor and or land, a second requirement must be fulfilled if human cooperation is to evolve. Men, at least two of them, must be capable of recognizing the higher productivity of a division of labor based on the mutual recognition of private property, of the exclusive control of every man over his own body and over his physical appropriations and possessions. As compared to other self-sufficient isolation or aggression, depredation, and domination. That is, there must be a minimum of intelligence or rationality in men, at least two of them, must have the sufficient moral strength to act on this insight and be willing to forego immediate gratification for even greater future satisfaction. But for intelligence and conscious will, writes Mises, men would have forever remained deadly foes of one another, irreconcilable rivals in their endeavors to secure a portion of the scarce supply of means of sustenance provided by nature. Each man would have been forced to view all other men as his enemies. His, crazing, his craving for the satisfaction of his own appetites would have brought him into an implicable con- uh, conflict with his neighbors. No sympathy could possibly develop under such a state of affairs. So, yeah, I mean, he was talking like kind of right before that about how because animals like don't adhere to a moral code that they can, they just kind of... Uh, Many of them, at least, will tend to just kill each other to get what they want, to survive, whatever the case may be. Humans, on the other hand, recognize, uh, you know, even in the state that we're in now, where there is a lot more violence than maybe there has been in the the recent past, but even now, like, humans are still capable of recognizing right from wrong, and that there is Mm -hmm. this concept of morality here. Uh, It's almost like he's alluding to his um, argumentation ethics here, too, where he's kind of saying that, well, these two people would rather, you know, talk this out, they'd rather cooperate uh, to have some sort of, like, mutually beneficial exchange or whatever the case may be, rather than um, resort to immediately, like, killing one another to get what they want. Yeah. A member of the human race who is completely incapable of understanding the higher productivity of labor performed under a division of labor based on private property is not properly speaking a person, a persona, but it falls instead in the same moral category as an animal of either the harmless sort to be domesticated and employed as a producer or consumer good or to be enjoyed as a free good or the wild and dangerous one to be fought as a pest. On the other hand, there are members of the human species who are capable of understanding the insight, but who lack the moral strength to act accordingly. Such persons are either harmless brutes living outside of and separated from human society, or they are more or less dangerous criminals. 
They are persons who knowingly act wrongly and who, besides having to be tamed or even physically defeated, must also be punished in proportion to the severity of their crime to make them understand the nature of their wrongdoings and hopefully to teach them a lesson for the future. Human cooperation, society, can only prevail and advance as long as man is capable of subduing, taming, appropriating, and cultivating his physical and animalistic surroundings. And as long as he succeeds in uh, suppressing crime, reducing it to a rarity by means of self-defense, property, protection, and punishment. Yeah, um, so again, kind of throughout that whole page, he's referencing back to time yep. preference again in a lot of cases where, of course, he does that throughout this book where he's saying that man, uh, to kind of be like civilized and have a civilized society, they must be able to sort of forgo that immediate gratification, like really high pr time preference behavior would be like, oh, I'm just going to murder you and take what you have rather than, uh, you know, enter into some sort of exchange with you. Um, I mean, I think that's sort of, yeah, the, yeah, generally the point speaking, that he's getting at there. And then he's, yeah. he's getting it. Yeah. Sort of like you might need to like punish, uh, certain people who are actually resorting to violence in order to, uh, disincentivize it, I think is sort of what he's getting at there. Yeah, punish might be the wrong word technically, uh, although it sort of fits, because I know typically libertarian law is more about, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, comp not compensation, but kind of uh, you know uh, making things right again. I forget the term for it. Uh, you know, instead restitution. Of, uh, restitution, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, so yeah, it's more about restitution, which I guess technically in a sense isn't punishment, but if you're having yeah. to go through that, it kind of is because yeah, punishment like, would be retribution yeah. versus yeah. restitution is like making the damaged party yeah. whole which you know i think is more important than the other although i think there is some uh benefit to both things yeah i mean there, there's something to that yeah which i would say you know i guess because he said uh, a rarity by means of self-defense i would call self-defense right. essentially a form of punishment yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, right. so you FA or FAFO, you know, you, <laughs> you, yeah. you, you, you frigged around, you found out. Right. Um, and so I would consider that, you know, I guess in a sense, a, a punishment. Uh, but, you know, I guess typically the, the civilized way, uh, you know, libertarian civilized way would be restitution, which, you know, technically, I don't know if you'd really call it punishment, but it, it kind of is. If you're the one having to go through the, if you stole something from someone, then you have to deal through the process of restitution. You, by the end of it, you, you realize, like, I probably you would have been in a much better situation had you never committed the crime in the first place. So in a sense, you, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a punishment. You're, you're losing lots of time from your life. You're probably going to end up losing some money just to, you know, in the effort of, because it's not as simple. Anyone who's read libertarian legal theory knows it's not as simple as I took X, give X back. A lot of times there's other, you know, uh, other factors that come in play. It's like, you know, yeah. how, how long did you have it? Was it something they need? Right. What other, you know what other damages have come in play. <laughs> like, right. So it's, it's not that simple. But right. anyways, the, the yeah. ultimate general point he's making here, like you got at, is essentially, it's, he's kind of making it, uh, simplifying all the stuff he said earlier, which mm. essentially you need, we need to, in order for society to flourish, we essentially need to find ways to reduce, uh, you know, essentially crime or, you know, any sort of property infringements. Because right. if that, that is a D, that is, that is, essentially predation that is uh, you know pulling away from society that is decivilizing i guess mm -hmm. would be the word uh and yeah so that's yeah. really all it is and you know once you can reduce that then you know society will will, will flourish forward yeah uh, and as rothbard kind of gets at in some of his writing uh there is uh you could sort of have discussions about like what the actual uh like restitution should be 
Whereas like in a case like uh, you were kind of alluding to, like if somebody steals some like machine from somebody, like something with which they were going to be productive for some period of time. And now that thing is stolen from them and they're no longer producing for that period of time. Well, they've lost more than just like, um, you know, getting that machine back or whatever. They've lost like some amount of production where they may have made like a bunch of money by producing more of that. So, you know, it's not just like, oh, I need that thing back in some cases. Like that might not make them whole, you know? Yeah. So in that sense, restitution isn't a form sort of a punishment. Uh, but if you are, I feel like if you are focused on punishment, you're missing the main point. Uh, but you know, yeah. yeah, there's a time and place for it, you know, but yeah. All right. On to you. All right. As soon as these requirements are fulfilled, however, and as long as man motivated by the knowledge of the higher physical productivity of a division of labor based on private property is engaged in mutually beneficial exchanges, the natural forces of attraction arising from the differences in the sexes and the natural forces of repulsion or enmity arising from the differences between and even within the races can be transformed into gen genuinely social relations. Sexual attraction can be transformed from copulation to consensual relations, mutual bonds, households, families, love, and affection. It testifies to the enormous productivity of the family household that no other institution has proven more durable or capable of producing such emotions. And inter and intraracial repulsion can be transformed from feelings of enmity or hostility to a preference for cooperating trading with one another only indirectly from afar and physically separated and spatially segregated rather than directly as neighbors and associates yeah that's a this is a this is where that is the point that a lot of people are gonna get turned off from but mm. in in the i do like that he kind of uh you know, you know, put it next to the example of sexual attraction, like between the sexes. And so he's kind of creating, like, I guess, almost an opposite. But you could also say the 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 uh, the other as well. Like, there are women that uh, you don't have sexual attractions with, so you're not going to go go to them. That's not necessarily a bad or and or, or a good thing. It's just that's not who you're attracted to. And so I guess you could almost make the same case with the racing. I don't th like a lot of people like to, uh, you know, put a an, almost like a you know, almost attribute Hoppe with being like a bigot or something. He's just describing reality, like that there is clearly in-group preferences between races and groups. Yeah, in general, so in a race is a group. So, and some people have more or less of such in-group preference. I mean, I, I you know, although we have Tower Geek Show, I'm not necessarily like. I have plenty of black friends, you know, like, or I guess I say that I actually don't have like a ton, but you, you know what I mean? Like I, and I've had plenty of other races, like, you know, I, I like, so, but at the end of the day, generally speaking, people tend to, you know, move towards like items. It's just, it's just the reality of the situation it is what it is. Well, yeah. I mean, um, you see yeah. that, like, you know, if you live like in a city or near a city, like I do, I mean, of course you have that all over, all over the place. You have like Chinatown where, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the people from the different Asian countries, they all have in-group preferences. They're all living with each other in kind of the same area in a lot of cases. You know, I mean, that yeah. that's just how it happened. Like, all the Italians are kind of in one place together. I mean, it's a... You, you tend to want to be with people that share your culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and lot, that is why, of, like, race is, race is more than... And a lot... I mean, I guess I... I don't know. It's, it's a, little, a little bit more complicated. But generally speaking... Uh, race tends to also coincide along culture lines. So yeah, that's a good point. A lot of times it's not simply race. People get focused on race, 
But yeah. a lot of times, you know, like our buddy Top, we went over his house recently. Uh, he comes from a Puerto Rican family because yeah. he he's Puerto Rican. And they, there was a ton of Puerto Ricans at his house and we were hanging out and they're cool. Like, yeah. but like, <laughs> I forgot my fucking point. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But uh, I mean, Hoppe basically just made two points there where he's kind of saying that the family unit is kind of like the strongest forms of cooperation mm. that you can have. And he doesn't outright say it in this passage although i think he would agree with it and i agree that the family because it is a strong unit like that and people can help each other out within that family unit it serves as like a countering institution to the state which is why the state tends to want to break it up yeah so that made me think of that and then he makes the other point which i think he's made already um in other places in the book like in the immigration stuff that we talked about with the race stuff where he's saying that um even if you don't like like a certain group of people you can still cooperate with them mm. from afar and then that kind of removes you know those feelings of hostility yeah i remember my point i was trying to get yeah. to the point of connecting race and culture uh because they they too tend to uh correlate and so i was making the point with like top's family they, they clearly yeah. you know between like all the puerto ricans a lot of them have a distinct culture or even more specifically since him a lot of them come from new york New York, like like the Puerto Ricans you'd find from New York are probably different from the Puerto Ricans you'd find in, I don't know, Florida or something. So uh, so there is a distinct culture, and, you know, it, it, as such, they tend to group amongst themselves. You know, I mean, they have a, they have a large family, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, all right. They, and, they cook good pork, and they play oh, baseball. Delicious. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a great time there. We had a lot yeah. of good food. Uh, all right. Uh, I think it's still you, right? Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. Uh, human cooperation, division of labor based on the one hand on integrated family households and on the other one, separated households, villages, tribes, nations, races, etc., wherein man's natural biological attractions and repulsions for and against one another are transformed into a mutually recognized system of spatial geographical allocation of physical approximation and integration or of separation and segregation and of direct or indirect contact exchange and trade leads to improved standards of living a growing population further extensification and intensification of the division of labor and increasing diversity and differentiation all right so yeah i mean that's just kind of more i guess reiterating what he was what saying was before did. where yeah like people will tend to want to uh, cooperate uh, rather than, you know, have like these hostile feelings towards one another. And that can take place uh, from afar, you know, with people of different groups, whatever. Like I know Dave Smith, like a lot of times brings up um, the example of like him getting in a cab and like how he absolutely doesn't share like any culture with this cab driver, but because they're making this like mutual exchange, you know, they're like very courteous to one another and they're friendly, you know, uh, like, I'm going to pay you money, you're going to give me a cab ride, that type of thing. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he just talks about how, like, behavior like that, uh, Hoppe talks about in that uh, paragraph there, like, behavior like that tends to lead uh, to more uh, of the division of labor, and you have people kind of falling into, like, where their skills actually lie and stuff like that. All right, yeah, you might not have anything to add to that. And more cooperation, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. As a result of this development and an ever more rapid increase of goods and desires which can be acquired and satisfied only indirectly, professional traders, merchants, and trading centers will emerge. 
Merchants and cities function as the mediators of the indirect exchanges between territorial separated households and communal associations and thus become the sociological and geographical locus and focus of intertribal and interracial association. I'll pick up here uh, instead of making you read all the way. Through. All right. Because <laughs> yeah, I know we normally divvy it up by paragraphs. Yeah, it yeah, will, we, yeah, yeah. It will yeah. be within the class of merchants in which racially, ethnically, or tribally mixed marriages are relatively most common. And since most people or both references group, reference groups tip, uh, typically disapprove of such alliance, it will be the wealthier members of the merchant class who can afford such extravagances. However, even the members of the wealthiest merchant families will be highly circumspect in such endeavors. In order not to endanger their own position as a merchant, great care must be taken that every mixed marriage is, or at least appears to the relevant ethnicities, to be a marriage between equals. Consequently, the racial mixture brought on by the merchant class will, be, will more likely than not contribute to genetic luxuration rather than genetic pauperation. Accordingly, it will be in the big cities as the centers of international trade and commerce where mixed couples and their offspring typically reside, where members of different ethnicities, tribes, races, even if they do not intermarry, still come into regular direct personal contact with each other. In fact, they do so, that they do so is required by the fact that they, their respective tribesmen back home do not have to deal directly with more or less distasteful strangers. And where the most elaborate and highly developed system of physical and functional, uh, functional integration and segregation will arise. It will also be in the big cities where, as a subjective reflection of this complex system of spatio-functional allocation, citizens will develop the most highly refined forms of personal and professional conduct, etiquette, and style. It is a city that breeds civilization and civilized life. All right. Uh, you have any add to that one? That was um, a lot there. Ooh, he's talking about the mixing of the races. That is he, bad. Yeah, no, uh, but he's not saying it's bad. He's like making no, a know. point. What was he saying? He's, like, he's made a point, but like he's he's kind of saying that like in the cities, which would be like kind of the population centers, that's sort of where people go to trade because there'll be more people, more goods. Like it's more likely that you're going to find certain goods that you need there than elsewhere in certain cases. And he's kind of saying that I guess the the merchant class or the people that are doing the most trading with each other because they're the people that are dealing with like other races the most often they're going to be the most likely to be like intermingling with with other races i guess and form interracial marriages i, I don't know yeah. exactly i don't know exactly what point he's kind of making there but he it kind of reminded me of when he was talking about the monarchies where you have like somebody from one monarchy yeah. marrying somebody from another monarchy so you're kind of bringing those two groups like together in a way yeah, that's what I was picking up too. Yeah, that, that, that that's that's what I got out of it. Yeah, I think he's just kind of making the point that yeah, like you said, in the in the more higher population, more trade locations, yeah, you're gonna tend to mix. It does make sense if you do think about it. Typically, the more rural you get, uh, the more segregated in a sense it is. And I don't mean like literally right. segregated. I just mean people more uh more kind of I guess in a voluntary segregation kind of way. Because you typically mm. see you do see like you know in in a lot of areas people tend to group up by. I mean, not necessarily race, but more like culture, which tends to correlate with race in a lot of ways. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> you are going to see a lot of that in rural areas. You're going to see, you know, like I grew up in the country and I lived in Maine, lived in Tennessee, uh, you know, both in rural areas. And I think 
we had like one black kid in both schools, so or both yeah. classes, not the entire school. There was more. Than yeah, that. but like point being is that's just typically how it works. Like it was a rural, you know, typically you know predominantly white area, and there's going to be other areas that are going to be rural, predominantly black. That's just weirdly how it kind of tends to work out. Yeah, the plantations. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and then even even where I live now, there's an area that's like nothing but Mexicans. You know, not too far from me, and yeah. because it's there's a lot of migrant workers here and stuff, and there's almost like Mexican cities, and so that you know it kind of makes sense. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure I agree with the final sentence that uh, yeah. Hoppe just had there. We're talking about how uh, like cities are where civilization and civilized life are. I think. We have found the opposite to be the case. and Well, he says it breeds it. I think what he's kind of getting at is he's trying to make a point uh, of the, you know, kind of the race mixing or whatever, that this is where cultures kind of come and combine. And yeah. I think he was kind of making a point because uh, yeah. he made the I point. I mean, if, if they're cooperating with each yeah. other and, you know, actually exchanging with each other voluntarily, I would agree. But yeah, he was making a point earlier about the a marriage between equals. And he was kind of like making a point about like race or whatever. So the point being is that like certain, you know, race might I, I'm kind of liking to use culture a little bit better here because it is like I feel like it's yeah. not as. That's a little yeah. bit more kind of, I think, what yeah. he might be getting at. Hop is being, like, anti-racist here. Yeah, what, 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 yeah what exactly. He kind of is. He's kind of making the point that, like, uh, you know, like I said, I think culture kind of explains what I think he might be getting at a little bit better. Almost that, um, you know, say, you know, kind of like we were going out with, like, Top, where he kind of has, like, a Puerto Rican culture. like so, Or New York Puerto Rican culture more so. So, like, say, for example, I was a girl and I, you know, or, or even look at look at Top's wife. Top's wife is not Puerto Rican. So it's kind of right. same idea. So it's like, you know, they they met up. So it's kind of like their cultures coming together. Now they're having children, uh, yeah. you know. So, you know, like now he is kind of making the point that you that he is also sort of making the point that cultures aren't equal. Uh, or I guess right. you, know, you could all, it's almost like he's intentionally being <laughs> like uh, provocative yeah. here by using race as opposed to culture. But it's 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 kind of a similar point. Yeah, I, I mean, it's different. Yeah. But yeah. I, I would also kind of say that, like, he's sort of alluding to the fact that, like, richer people, I guess, tend to be in the city. And that's because there are all these people like trading more goods there and whatever. Although I think in reality, part of it is also that you have a lot of the politically connected people living in and around some of these biggest cities like New York and D.C. Yeah. All right. To maintain law and order within a big city, with its intricate pattern of physical and functional integration and separation, a great variety of jurisdictions, judges, arbitra arbitrators, and enforcement agencies, in addition to self-defense and private uh, protection, will come into existence. There will be what one might call governance in the city, but there will be no government state. Mm -hmm. Uh, for a government to arise, it is necessary that one of these judges, arbitrators, or enforcement agencies succeed in establishing himself as a monopolist. That is, he must be able to insist that no citizen can choose anyone but him as the judge or arbitrator of last resort, and he must successfully suppress any other judge or arbitrator from trying to assume the same role, thereby competing against him. More interestingly than the question of what a government is, however, are the following. How is it possible that one judge can acquire a judicial or judiciary monopoly, uh, given that other judges will naturally oppose any such attempt? Mm -hmm. And what specifically makes it possible, and what does it imply to establish a monopoly of law and order in a big city, i.e. over a territory with ethnically, tribally, and or racially mixed populations? Yeah, uh, so this is something that a lot of, um, like, I, I guess I would say, like, left-leaning libertarians, or there's a certain 
sector of libertarians who don't really get this, what Hoppe is saying here, and they can't really wrap their minds around this, and they immediately think, oh, well, that's a government, even when it isn't. And Hoppe is pointing out, like, what you would have here, like, you would have institutions that are, like, private defense, like, maybe private policing, security, whatever you might want to call it, private courts, things like that. You like you would need that for certain uh, forms of defense, for security, for uh, arbitration, for, you know, getting people restitution, things like that. You would need that. And he's making the point that that is not a government if all of this is happening voluntarily and people mm -hmm. are paying for these services to happen, things like that. Like it only becomes a government or a state if somebody has a monopoly on it and he's saying that for somebody to acquire that monopoly they're gonna have to exert force to do that and that like i mean he's kind of getting to theory land here like ancap theory but you know in an ancap uh, society like there would be a push against that like this one like judge or whatever isn't going to be able to just seize control of these other people or being like, well, no, you're not going to do that. We'll like defend ourselves against that. And like, it's similar to like Rothbard makes points like this in for new Liberty, I think. Yeah. 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 I would, I think I want to say this paragraph kind of explains that previous sentence we were getting at because he starts talking about how to maintain order and he says that it wouldn't have a government and he goes into it. So it almost makes it sound like he was presupposing, or maybe we missed a, a certain sentence. We missed a certain something that was specifying it. It almost seems like he was making the point, like for example, that is a city that breeds civilization and civilized life. Mm -hmm. And he's almost making the point in like in the, in the act, like in a, you know, or a, uh, in a society absent, you know, a, a decivilizing force, like a government, essentially. I think that might be what he was getting at. Because absent a government, a city is, and that does make sense, that would be the place right. where populations go to intermingle and typically the best, the cream of the crop, you know, kind of would arise. So that yeah. might be kind the of what natural he was getting. The natural elites, yeah, yeah. That's what he was kind of getting at with the race mixing or culture mixing or whatever word you, or mm -hmm. whatever way you want to look at it. Uh, that might have been what he was getting at. Because in that situation, yes, that would breed it. But now in a situation where a governance present, that's going to create different incentives. And that actually might create what he was, it, it might create the inverse. And, and instead of, you know, right. the cream rising the crop, it, it may it may be the opposite. It would create a decivilizing force. And, uh, right. you know, in, in that case, you know, you could almost make a, a case that, you know, the government's causing the culture mixing to become a, you know, almost say bubbling, you know, kind of look at the cities now, you know, like look yeah. how... <laughs> you know, people are always talking about like race wars or a civil war or whatever. It's like a lot of that's a, I don't know, maybe that is a, a function of that. Now, absent a government, I feel like, you know, Hoppe would be right. These high pop, these large population centers would have these proper governances in, in place and they would, you know, it, voluntary governances and they would, yeah. you know, it wouldn't have this issue. It would be a breeding, a, a ground where cultures go to, uh, you know, breed civilization and civilized life, you know? So. Yeah, yeah, I think that is what he's saying, and yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Um, it's just that, yeah, like you were kind of just saying, what we have now in reality, that is not the case, and these cities are really uh, kind of these like hubs of the state, if you want to look at it that way, where you have kind of the opposite effect, like you were saying, and it's like more like 
decivilizing yes. aspects of it. Yeah, more yeah, so and they create else, enmity yeah. between the cultures, races, groups, whatever, as yeah. opposed to allowing them to cooperate in their own voluntary manners and, you know, essentially not forced integration, not forced right. segregation, but allowing them to, you know, integrate as they see fit. And as such, like he was kind of getting at, typically, you know, that would cause people, like say the mixing of the groups would be more selective and, and cause, you know, say this culture and that culture to come together and be like, take the finer points of each culture and kind of mix and create that, you know, the, the civilization and civilized life like he's getting at. But all right, let's go on. Yeah. Like I'm still going to go into Chinatown and get some, uh, some bomb Chinese food, man. Exactly. All right. Uh, first, almost by definition, it follows that with the establishment of a city government, interracial tribal ethnic and clannish familial tensions will increase that's what we were just talking about. Because the monopolist, whoever he is, must be of one ethnic background rather than another. Hence, his being the, the monopolist will be considered by the citizens of other ethnic backgrounds as an insulting setback, i.e. as an act of arbitrary discrimination against the people of another race, tribe, or clan. The delicate balance of peaceful interracial, interethnic, and interfamilial cooperation achieved through an intricate system of spatial and functional integration, association, and separation, segregation, will be upset. Second, this insight leads directly to the answer as to how a single judge can possibly outmaneuver all others. In brief, to overcome the resistance by competing judges, an aspiring monopolist must shore up added support in public opinion. In an ethnically mixed milieu, this typically means uh, playing the race card. The prospective monopolist must raise the racial, tribal, or clannish consciousness among citizens of his own race, tribe, clan, etc., and promise in return for their support to be more than an impartial judge in matters relating to one's own race, tribe, or clan. That is exactly what citizens of other ethnic backgrounds are afraid of, i.e. being treated with less than impartiality. Yep, exactly what I just said earlier, but said way better. (laughs) Right, so... Yeah, so that's a good point, and that is kind of what we see now with, like, the progressive side of things, where you see that the people that are in charge, you know, they're mostly, like, rich white people, but, of course, what are they doing? They're, like, they're trying to appeal to, like, all these other races. Well, no, we're on your side here, and that's what they're going to do, right? Yep, exactly. You know, that's what they're claiming they're going to do, yeah. Yep, and so then it causes, you know, causes enmity between the groups, yep. Right. All right, let's uh, keep it moving. I think we'll probably go ahead and just try to finish this chapter. We were talking about ending it uh, at part three, but let's uh, unless you disagree with me, we can stop. Um, yeah, I mean, we're almost already up to the to yeah. that uh, yeah section right. uh, stop. So yeah. All right, at this stage in this soci- sociological reconstruction, let us, without further explanation, briefly introduce a few additional steps required to arrive at a realistic contemporary scenario regarding race, sex, society, and state. Naturally, a monopolist will try to maintain his position and possibly even turn it into a hereditary title, i.e. become a king. However, accomplishing this within an ethnically or tribally mixed city is a far more difficult task than within a homogenous rural community. Instead, in big in big cities, governments are far more likely to take on the form of a democratic republic with open entry into the position of supreme ruler, competing political parties, and popular elections. 
In the course of the political centralization process, the territorial expansion of one government at the expense of another, this big city model of government then will become essentially its only form, that of a democratic state exercising a judicial monopoly over a territory with racially and or ethnically widely diverse populations. Yeah, the, uh, the consequences of this point is, is interesting because I, I feel like he's kind of almost alluding to that, you know, because people give him, give Hoppe crap for being, um, being like a bigot or whatever because of the, the essentially what we just read. But he's kind of making, he is making, he's kind of just describing reality and that like this, like he's actually saying that, that he's not really saying race, groups, whatever are bad or good. He's just saying they're a reality. And he's actually kind of almost making the point that the city, in, in a sense, he's making the sen- uh, point that the cities are the worst things among us currently, right. but theoretically they should be the best among us for the the, the same reasons that they're the worst uh right. well not the same reason but you know absent a government the, the things that make it the worst you know uh in with a government are the same things that without a government would make it the best right essentially so he, yeah yeah so he wound up going to what we were actually already saying where yeah the cities if there were no government there there would be these like hubs of cooperation essentially but instead, what we have when we have a government is that because they are the places where you have all these different races mixing, whatever, if you have a government in there, then, you know, of course, what he said was that the monopolist, the person who's in charge, will be of one particular race. That's going to make other races, um, you know, not really uh, trust that guy. Uh, in some cases, they might not. And then what they would then have to do is uh, try to, like, appeal to all those other races. And then, as I think you were saying, he's sort of saying that that whole thing winds up resulting in, like, people being pitted against each other. Yep. And that's why we have the hellish situation we have now, or one of many reasons in, in, in the cities. Whereas, you know, theoretically, you know, absent the government, they would, maybe not the best in a sense, but, you know, like he was kind of made out, like, this is kind of where culture is formed, in a sense, is kind of right. what he's getting at. Like, this is... This is where ideas are refined, where trade is performed, and I guess the rural areas would typically more your product productive type areas mm-hmm. or something along those lines. Right. Uh, but yeah. and whereas you know in the like governmentless city situation, you have people like choosing who they're going to actually do business with still, and that type of thing. When the government gets involved, the government sets up a situation where it's more like forced integration. Where you like have to, in some cases, do business with some of these people, or maybe you might not want to. Yep. Alrighty, let's keep moving. All right, is this me or you? It's still you. Uh, I'll take over next page. All right. While the judicial monopoly of governments extends nowadays typically far beyond a single city, and in some cases over almost an entire continent, the consequences for the relations between races and sexes and spatial approximation and segregation of government monopoly can still be best observed in the great cities and their decline from centers of civilization to centers of degeneration and decay. Yep, exactly what you said. But go on. Right. So, yeah, that's what we were saying. So, yeah, with the government involved, they've turned cities from yeah being culture and civilization into yeah de-civilization. Mm-hmm. And decay, I guess, yeah, is what he's saying there. And he's also kind of bringing up uh, the point that, like, you sort of get this, like, centralization of power going on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of uh, what we would prefer, like, the decentralization. 
uh, where like if there wasn't a government, you might have more like decentralized cities and each city's kind of, you know, doing its own thing and people will come into each one maybe to trade and then leave something like that. Yep. Um, all right. With a central government extending over cities and the countryside, countries, inlanders and foreigners are created. This has no immediate effect on the countryside where there are no foreigners, members of different ethnicities, races, etc. But in the great trading centers where there are mixed populations, the legal distinction between inlander and foreigner, rather than ethnically or racially distinct private property owners, will almost invariably lead to some form of forced exclusion and a reduced level of inter-ethnic cooperation. Moreover, with a central state in place, the physical segregation and separation of city and countryside will be systematically reduced. In order to exercise its judicial monopoly, the central government must be able to access every inlander's private property, and to do so, it must take control of all existing roads and even expand the existing system of roadways. Different households and villages are thus brought into a closer contact than they might have preferred, and the physical distance and separation of city and countryside will be significantly diminished. Thus, internally, forced integration will be promoted. Right, so that's sort of what I was getting at there. Um, and then he's kind of adding to the forced integration aspect of it. He's adding uh, the fact that uh, kind of this like urban spread type of uh, idea here where he's saying that the state will kind of want to like push outside of that and take over everything and even to the point where they're taking over the countryside and they're like even in your business out there further away from the cities you're muted yeah the yeah. cities kind of subsume the fucking uh the country the, the country yeah. so that's why a lot of people even now they ask you like when you you know you're like I'll say Tampa as opposed to like my specific where I'm at. And, you know, cause that's the closest thing. So in a sense, it's almost like you have town, city, you know, county, uh, you know, uh, state and as such. And, and also kind of in a certain sense, it's like, that's why you see, you know, with a, in a lot of, maybe this doesn't exactly translate, but it's kind of the same idea with a lot of states. It's like the cities are essentially the ones that kind of determine what goes on in that state. And I feel like that's kind of a somewhat a function of that. But all right, yeah, yeah and I'm I'm not I'm not sure exactly what the point he was making with the forced exclusion was. Yeah, all right. Naturally, this tendency towards forced integration due to the monopolization of roads and streets will be most pronounced in the cities. This tendency will be further stimulated if, as is typical, the government takes its seat in a city. A popularly elected government cannot help using its judicial monopoly to engage in redistributive policies in favor of its ethnic or racial constituency which will invariably attract even more of its own tribe's members. And with changes in the government, more members of even more and more different tribes will be drawn from the countryside to the capital city to receive either government jobs or handouts. As a result, not only will the capital become, more, become relatively oversized as other cities shrink, at the same time, due to the monopolization of public streets, whereon everyone may proceed wherever he wants, all forms of ethnic, tribal, or racial tensions and animosities will be stimulated." Um, yeah. All right. Moreover, while interracial, tribal, and ethnic marriages were formerly rare and restricted, 
to the upper strata of the merchant class with the arrival of bureaucrats and bums from various racial, tribal, and ethnic backgrounds to the capital city, the frequency of inter-ethnic uh, marriage will increase, and the focus of inter-ethnic sex, even without marriage, will increasingly shift from the upper class emergence to the lower classes, even to the lowest class of welfare recipients. All right, yeah, that was the point he was making earlier, uh, yeah. where he was kind of getting at with the whole the merchants and kind of the race mixing, and, and or culture mixing, or whatever you want to call it. And it's kind of the idea that typically, in, in a you know, absent of government there wouldn't be essentially like a you know almost you know like the bug lights where it's drawing you know people into it, it you know right. the 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 typically lower class the less desirables the the less productive individuals so mm -hmm. typically in in a absent of government this would be a hub of trade and this would be typically you know uh, you know uh, more well-to-do merchants and stuff would reside there uh, and that would be, and it would be from all tribes, races, cultures, whatever. And yeah. inevitably they would end up, you know, intermingling. And as such, you, that's just kind of what he's getting at. where like, this is kind of where culture breeds because you get the best of every culture, race, group, tribe, whatever, interacting. Whereas now in our current state, it becomes a, you know, the welfare light goes on and all these people, you know, from lower classes come in from different tribes, groups, from all different cultures, and they start intermingling. And then instead you get the worst of each group, typically speaking, in a certain yeah. sense. And that's not me saying poor people are bad, but, you know, like gen like there, there is a, there's typically less productive people or they're less productive at the very least, I guess is a case you could make. So you're, you're mm -hmm. bringing in people that are typically less productive, maybe the way to put it, right. You know, so you're bringing in less productive groups and having them, you know, co come together and they're going to typically, they're going to stay where they're at. They're continue to produce less productive people, typically speaking. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying people can never rise out of poverty, but typically yeah. speaking it's, you know, and, and hell, this is a typical race talking point for race hustlers is intergenerational wealth. So, you know, it's the same, same thing on the flip side, but all right. Yeah. And he's also saying that, you know, with the cities then, uh, drawing all these additional people into the city, uh, like sort of the, uh, I don't know if you want to say like the more like degenerates, but like, yeah, the like lower classes of people all coming in there, there's going to be more of like, there's going to be more culture clash there because whereas like with that uh, merchant class where they actually have like that incentive to cooperate with each other and it's all going to be sort of voluntary you have like the state coming in here and then all these other uh people you know from sort of the lower strata are all coming in there as well they're all clashing and that might lead to more like violence basically and he's kind of talking about all those people having to like share the public streets you get like this forced integration aspect yep. to it going on yeah yep. all right yeah, now he's about to say exactly what i just said but a lot smarter Rather than genetic luxuration, which is kind of what I was getting at, uh, yeah. the consequence is increased genetic pauperization, mm -hmm. a tendency furthered by the fact that government welfare support will naturally lead to an increase in the birth rate of welfare recipients relative to the birth rate of other members, in particular of members of the upper class of their tribe or race. As a result of this over-proportional growth of low and even underclass people and an increasingly, increasing number of ethnically, tribally, racially mixed offspring, especially in the lower and lowest, and lo lowest social strata, the character of democratic, popular, government will gradually change as well. Rather than the race card being essentially the only instrument of politics, politics becomes increasingly class politics. The government rulers can and will no longer rely exclusively on their ethnic, tribal, or racial appeal and support, but increasingly they must try to find support across tribal, 
or racial lines by appealing to the universal, not tribe or race specific, feeling of envy and egalitarianism, i.e. to social class. The untouchables or the slaves versus the masters, the workers versus the capitalists, the poor versus the rich, etc. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that is something that they do absolutely do. As we can see, the, the government makes all these appeals to egalitarianism to, you know, try to uh, justify the welfare state and all, you know, all of the types of things like that. Yep. And yeah. it just kind of shows how it transforms from one to the other, which makes sense. You know, this is kind of, you know, it, right. that's, it goes from smaller group to larger group as the group mixes. Right. I would say they still have both going on, yep. but they still yep. also make appeals to different races and stuff. And whether you think that, you know, maybe that's an attempt to distract, but yep. they, you know, they, they want, they still want to keep like division yep. amongst yep. the masses because what they don't want happening as, you know, Hoppe's kind of talking about here, uh, the, that like class struggle that, uh, people are seeing they don't want people to realize that that class struggle is actually like them versus the government like that's actually what the division of classes is they don't want people to notice that they want to think that it's something else amongst themselves yes and uh, i think he's making the point that as as uh, like a city becomes more homogenized uh, you know and, and not in like a specific race i mean like in a intermingling type sense then it will st start to less rely on race politics and more start to rely on class politics uh mm. but it will you know likely will always exist to some degree or another but you know that's just the way it works yeah. um and that makes sense to me the increasing admixture of egalitarian class politics the pre-existing tribal policies lead to even more racial and social tension and hostility to an even even greater proliferate pro eh, proliferation of the low and underclass population in addition to certain ethnic or tribal groups being driven out of the cities as a result of tribal policies, increasingly also members of the upper class of all ethnic or tribal groups will leave the city for the suburbs, only to be followed by means of public uh, government transportation uh, by those very people whose behaviors they had tried to escape. With the upper class and the merchants leaving in larger numbers, however, one of the last remaining civilizing forces will be weakened, and what is left behind the cities will represent an increasingly negative selection of the population, of mm. government bureaucrats who work but no longer live there, and of the lowlifes and social outcasts of all tribes and races who live there, yet who increasingly do not work but survive on welfare. Just think of Washington, D.C. Yeah, that's wild because, yeah, that is exactly what we see. So he's saying that because you have all these like lower class people moving into the cities, that's going to drive like some of the higher class people out. But those people might still like work in the city and stuff. So they're going to be driven into like the suburbs where it's uh, like safer to live, essentially. But then they're going to be using public transportation to come back into the city. But like what's left in the city, um, you know, the people that are actually living in the city, you're kind of just left with like sort of like the lower class people. Yep. So it's, it is very uh, de-civilizational. Yes. All right. On to you. All right. When one would think that matters could not possibly become, oh, when one would think that matters could not possibly become worse, they do. After the race and class card have been played and done their devastating work, the government turns to the sex and gender card and racial justice and social justice are complemented by gender justice. 
The establishment of a government, a judicial monopoly, not only implies that the formerly separated jurisdictions, as within ethnically or racially segregated districts, for instance, are forcibly integrated, it implies at the same time that formerly fully integrated jurisdictions, as within households and families, will be forcibly broken down or even dissolved. Rather than regarding intra-family or household matters, including subjects such as abortion, for instance, as no one else's business to be judged and arbitrated within the family by the head of the household or family members, once a judicial monopoly has been established, its agents, the government, also become and will naturally strive to expand their role as judge and arbitrator of, arbitrator of last resort in all family matters. To gain popular support for its role, the government, besides playing one tribe, race, or social class against one another, against another, will likewise promote divisiveness within the family, between the sexes, husbands and wives, and the generations, parents and children. Once again, this will be particularly noticeable in the big cities. Yep. Yeah. So that's wild. That is, yeah, like, that is exactly what we see going on. Uh, they're... They're finding all these different ways to divide uh, the populace and not only the populace, but they want to divide like the families themselves, which is something that I was alluding to earlier because the government realizes that the family is a competing institution to them. So they're throwing out, you know, the, the sex card now and trying to divide uh, the family that way. And he's alluding to the fact that the government is now getting involved in like all these personal aspects of life essentially he mentions abortion specifically but you know you have the government essentially like entering your bedroom and that yep. serves to like break up families essentially yeah and this is probably the more pernicious one of because it's it's in i feel like once you start driving a wedge between the sexes that's what's going to cause real that can cause real problems like I mean, don't be wrong. There, there's issues if you drive wedges between race, group, culture, whatever, as we've just, you know, extensively kind of went into. Uh, but it's, just, it's another level because like I, you can just go live in the country and in a more homogenized area. But at the end of the day, like every man, well, not every man, I guess there are gay men out there and there are lesbians out there for women. But generally speaking, yeah. most men and most women would like to find a mate and they would like to settle down and they would like to have some some sort of semblance of a domestic life, uh, mm. typically with a family. Now, when you drive a wedge between men and women, that's going to, uh, you know, kind of destabilize that. And I, I, don't, I don't know that that is to me one of the most pernicious one, because I feel like. Uh, you know, driving a wedge between a man and his wife or, you know, a husband and wife, that's, that's something else. You know, if you can start creating that like mm. mind virus in either of them, that, that, that becomes a problem. You create these divisions yeah. like, oh, I'm well, man, I'm woman. Like, yeah. yes, we know, but we can work together yeah. with that. I mean, the, the age division is like really insidious too, because you have like what you would ideally want is you have like, you know, the parents will be taking care of the children and then sort of as people get older, like the opposite winds up happening and the parents, you know, once they get old, they can then rely on their adult children to then take care of them in return. And that's something we're seeing like much less of. And we're seeing, you know, like children are being robbed right now through like social security, which of course is uh, completely insolvent, but the social security is having to pay out to the old people. And that's not those old people's money anymore. That's being taken from like, 
the next generations, like from their children. So yeah, yeah there's a lot of wild stuff going on. You have like older people being forced to pay for like children's schooling now, even though these people's own children are already went to school and you have a bunch of shit like that going on. Yeah, I, I, I find that less pernicious between this than driving a wedge between the sexes, but it's only slightly less because that is I do think that, uh, you know, there is something to that because that creates where I feel like if there, we were absent of government, we would see much different family structures than we see now. Like like we were talking yeah. about with Top Lobster, I actually think we likely in a truer, more free society would likely see typically family structures more like that where families I would agree. typically be more grouped together. For those who aren't aware, Top Lobster has, you know, probably what, something like five to ten acres, I would assume. Yeah, and like he's ten, got a, yeah. Yeah, he's got a big house of his own. And then, you know, not even like a hundred feet from him is his mom and dad uh, live there. And, you know, his family, you know, comes in. I don't, I don't know if he has other family lives there as well. But, you know, it's 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 very much a family atmosphere there. And it, it was nice. I, I thought it was really great. Uh, I loved it. Uh, so I like, I I like it great. a lot. Yeah, it, yeah. it kind of reminds me of my mom's family just because it's a larger family but my mom's family is way more uh like separated than his is like we, we will have get-togethers and stuff like that but tops it seems like they're like very um very much like together as a family even though i think probably still some of his family is like back in like brooklyn or whatever but yeah. i think a, a decent chunk of them all like moved to florida and they're kind of all together so yeah uh, all right let's keep moving all right where are we at here I'll, by the way, I'll pick up on oh, the, uh, after I know this paragraph, but right, you, you right, have yeah. this long ass paragraph. Yeah, I know where we're at. Yeah. Every form of government welfare, the compulsory wealth or income transfer from haves to have nots lowers the value of a person's membership in an extended family household system as a social system of mutual cooperation and help and assistance. Marriage loses value. For parents, the value and importance of a good upbringing, education, of their own children is reduced. Correspondingly, for children, less value will be attached and less respect paid to their own parents. So a bunch of this stuff is kind of yep. what we were just getting at when mm -hmm. we were just talking. Owing to the high concentration of welfare recipients in the big cities, family disintegration is already well advanced. In appealing to gender and generation age as a source of political support and promoting and enacting sex, gender, and family legislation, invariably the authority of heads of families and households and the natural intergenerational hierarchy within families is weakened and the value of a multiple the value of a multi-generational family as the basic unit of human society diminished. Indeed, as should be clear, as soon as the government's law and legislation supersedes family law and legislation, including interfamily arrangements in conjunction with marriages, joint family offspring, inheritance, etc., the value and importance of the institution of a family can only be systematically eroded. For what is a family if it cannot even find and provide for its own internal law and order? At the same time, as should be clear as well, but has not been sufficiently noted, from the point of view of the government's rulers, their ability to interfere in internal family matters must be regarded as the ultimate prize and the pinnacle of their own power. To exploit tribal or racial resentments or class envy to one's personal advantage is one thing. It is quite another accomplishment to use the quarrels arising within families to break up the entire generally harmonious system of autonomous families, to uproot individuals from their families to isolate and atomize them, thereby increasing the state's power over them. 
Accordingly, as the government's family policy is implemented, divorce, singledom, single parenting, and illegitimacy, incidents of parent, spouse, and child neglect or abuse, and the variety and frequency of non-traditional lifestyles, homosexuality, lesbianism, communism, and occultism increase as well. By the way, I do want to, I want to emphasize, because once again, not that Hoppe really ever takes any time to try to defend himself between being a bigot. And, yeah. and I, I, I don't even really care to defend that anymore either. I just want to clarify for people out there that have a knee jerk, like what? Like, I don't think that's necessarily a, adding a saying that, you know, obviously like something like communism, he would say is clearly a bad thing, but something like homosexuality yeah. or lesbianism, I don't think he's necessarily saying that's like immoral or a bad thing, but the point he is making is when you break down the family, you know, kind of, and I was, I almost made this point earlier when I was talking about driving a wedge between the sexes. Mm. Once you do that, that will likely increase the rates of such, you know, phenomena, right. uh, you know, and you yeah. know, like, and I, I know a lot of people be like, Oh, what do you think people are choosing to be? I, I, the whole nature versus nurture thing. I think if you're trying to do nature versus nurture for homosexuality, I think it's way more, it's, it's both. Like, I let's think, be real. It's both. It, it is both. I think yeah. that, um, like, I think environmental factors are like pretty huge in that. And Jeremy Kaufman actually did a good job uh, debating that in one of the Soho Forum debates at Porkfest this year. It was him against Matt Kibbe, and he was arguing that homosexuality is uh, the majority, like, uh, cause of it is uh, environmental rather than uh, inherent. Mm -hmm. And he, he brought up some good uh, statistics related to that, I thought, which was interesting. But yeah, Hoppe's making the point here, like I already said, where uh, the family is sort of like the institution of like last resort, like up against um, the government. Because you typically, you know, if you like wouldn't have the government in play at all, like you'd be able to rely on your family, uh, typically, like you'd be able to cooperate with them, you know, you'd be able to seek help from them, things like that. And the government wants to come in and like take the place of that to the point where they want to become like the head of the household themselves. They want to become like the teachers of the children, which of course we know they're out there like indoctrinating children through the public education system. They want to become, uh, I don't even know where I was going with that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah. But, but definitely, anyways, definitely yeah. the child thing. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. But real quick, I want to make one last point on the gay thing. Um, I, 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 I like with the whole nature versus nurture thing. And or actually the point I wanted to make is I do, I actually do think that if we'd say we had magical free land or Liberty, whatever, you know, say we had hop land or whatever the hell you want to call it. I do think there would still be gay people. Like even if we, you know, the, the millions yeah. of years from now, we have the perfect libertarian society, there'd still be gay people. I've actually read like a, I mean, I can't remember what book it was, but I was yeah. reading something. I mean, there'd still be murder too, yeah. but well, be, well, okay. Be but that's not, it. that's not the point I'm making. And the point I'm making is I do think that, uh, that, that to some extent that is a natural phenomena uh, to some, but I do think that also can be influenced by external factors as well. So yeah. uh, point being, it's, I've actually shown, uh, I, I believe it's in like families with like a, like a ton of brothers. Uh, typically that's a, the, like the, the later brothers tend to have a higher you know chance of being gay essentially. And I think the, and, and the point, the book, I mean, I, I'm not remember recollecting it very well, but the point they were making at that was, it was almost like a, within a natural, like within a family or within a society, 
essentially if you're in a situation where you already have a ton of essentially breeders you already have a, a community that has more than enough children it would make sense for there to be people who essentially are non-breeders who can assist in caring and in doing other you know stuff amongst the community that's so, yeah interesting yeah. also they yeah. might be getting their asses kicked by their bigger brothers so. yeah i mean that's true but i always thought that was an interesting point that could be a naturally occurring thing in that sense uh kind of a thing that you know yeah. so i don't see why that would necessarily exclude but if you're in a situation like we are now where you start driving a, a wedge between the sexes, that's probably going to increase that phenomena to where it is because we want breeders. We want to create like you want to create, you know, society, civilization. Mm. Uh, so if you have too many non-breeders, that's a problem. But, it, you know, it's also not a bad thing to have non-breeders as well in certain situations. So, yeah. But yeah. all right, I'll, I'll pick up on this paragraph and we'll, we'll take us home. Parallel to this development will be a gradual but steady urge in crime and criminal behavior. Under monopolistic auspices, law will invariably be transformed into legislation. As a result of an unending process of income and wealth redistribution in the name of racial, social, and or gender justice, the very idea of justice as universal and immutable principles of conduct and cooperation will be eroded and ultimately destroyed. Rather than being conce uh, conceived of as something pre-existing and to be discovered, Law is increasingly considered as government-made law legislation. Accordingly, not only will legal uncertainty increase, but in reaction, the social rate of time preference will rise, i.e., people in general will become more present-oriented and have an increasingly shorter planning horizon. Yeah. Moral relativism will also be promoted. For if there is no such thing as an ultimate right, then there is also no such thing as an ultimate wrong. Indeed, what is right today may be wrong tomorrow and vice versa. Rising time preference combined with moral relativism then provides a perfect breeding ground for criminals and crimes, a tendency especially evident in the big cities. It is there that the dissolution of families is most advanced, that the greatest concentration of welfare recipients exists, that the process of genetic pauperization has progressed furthest, and that tribal and racial tensions as the outcome of forced integration are most virulent. Rather than centers of civilization, cities have become centers of social disintegration and cesspools of physical and moral decay, corruption, brutishness, and crime. Yeah, so I think he's kind of making the point there, uh, continuing with uh, the fact that governments are like dissolving families, that that results in like higher time preference and uh, like a, uh, I guess like a shorter planning horizon because he's made the point like earlier in the book too, like with like the monarchy example, like what would happen is if you're like breaking up those families or whatever, uh, like the parents are less incentivized to be planning for the future because they're trying to plan for like their children's future. Yeah. Right. So they're going to be more focused like on the immediate and kind of like themselves. So you get uh, those uh, shifts in time preference, which are not good. Higher time preference. Yeah. I also think the moral relativism point he's making is actually kind of a result of low time preference because in a sense, I, because I mean, I'm not going to take like an hour to talk about morality because I, I have mm. a different understanding than most libertarians do. But I think, in a certain sense, from a rational perspective, if you are to have a super low time preference, morality, uh, the way you perceive morality shifts because you have a lower time preference. You're more about the immediate, you're more about the present. So, doing a bad act, you don't think about the possible consequence of that, however long in the future, and the, the cascading effects of it. So, you know, yeah. whereas if you have a longer time preference, you may think, yeah, this one thing, you know, this that is sort of bad, like I, I may or like uh, I, 
I may. What was it? fuck? I lost my track of my my uh, my line of thought. But you know what I mean. Like, I don't the, know. The, but like, if 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 you're like worse off as a result of a government policy or whatever, you might um you you know you'll have a heightened time preference, but you might be uh, more likely to resort to like immoral acts to even just to try to like survive. Like you might. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you'll commit theft or something or murder or something like that to get something that you kind of need to survive. Exactly. Or you think you do, at least. Yeah, And I'm not saying... So, uh, I just think uh, the, the things are definitely highly correlated, is my point. Because yeah. I think if you have a low time preference, I think in a lot of senses, morality can also a lot of times be rationalized to kind of almost like a a, a long like a long time preference type thing. And the idea mm. that like I will behave... People behave in this manner because they know, generally speaking, this is the better thing for in the long term if I behave in this manner. You know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, this promotes certain behaviors that, you know... Uh, create mm. good effects in the future. Whereas, yeah. or you can just go, or I can steal this thing now and I have it now, you know, yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering if he was just talking about like the moral relativism being kind of a result of uh, like a bunch of more laws being in place that kind yeah. of like shift what people, what people think about like right and wrong. And then of course you wind up like in the cities, what we see now is you have this like anarcho tyranny type of situation if you want to call it that, where you have um, like the government is sort of just not enforcing certain laws. Like they're allowing people in San Francisco to steal up to like some amount of money's worth from stores and that doesn't uh, get enforced at all. But then if a guy tries to defend his store with a weapon or whatever, then he gets charged with something, with some crime, even though he was acting in self-defense. So it's all out of whack. Yeah, no, I actually agree with your point that 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 was the point Hoppe was making. I was just adding to his point that the, I yeah. think the moral relativism might not necessarily be a direct result of low time preference, but I think it's highly correlated. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. All right. What follows from all of this? Clearly, Western civilization has been on a course of self-destruction for quite some time. Can this course be stopped? And if so, how? I wish I could be optimistic, but I am not so sure that there is a sufficient reason for optimism. To be sure, history is ultimately determined by ideas. And ideas can, at least in principle, change almost instantly. But in order for ideas to change, it is not sufficient for people to see that something is wrong. At least a significant number must also be intelligent enough to realize what it is that is wrong. That is, they must understand the basic principles upon which society, human cooperation, rests. The very principles explained here and they must have sufficient willpower to act accordingly in this insight. But it's precisely this which one must increasingly doubt. Civilization and culture do have a genetic biological basis. However, as a result of statism, of forced integration, egalitarianism, welfare policies, and family destruction, the genetic quality of the population has almost certainly declined. Indeed, how could it not when success is systematically punished and failure rewarded? Whether intended or not, the welfare state promotes the proliferation of intellectually and morally inferior people, and the results would be even worse were it not for the fact that crime rates are particularly high amongst these people and that they tend to eliminate each other more frequently. He's literally making the evolution argument that, yes, we are devolving, evolutionarily speaking, in a certain sense, uh, because literally we are the, the incentives in place are essentially causing a situation where, like he said, Failure is rewarded, and so survival of the fittest. Fittest right. then becomes the failures. So, right. so that's like like the yeah. income tax. You're yeah. essentially uh, you're disincentivizing productive work, and then uh, you know the inverse of that. You're you know giving out welfare with that money. You're actually incentivizing not being productive and not working. Yes. 
So we're literally, I think he's literally making the argument we are genetically devolving as well, not yeah. only civilization, uh, you know, devolving. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. we are. People are way more yeah. retarded. Yes. However, even if all of this does not give much hope for the future, all is not lost. There still remain some pockets of civilization and culture, not in the cities and metropolitan areas, but in the heartland, countryside. In order to preserve these, several requirements must be fulfilled. The state, a judicial monopoly, must be recognized as a source of decivilization. States do not create law and order. They destroy it. Families and households must be recognized as a source of civilization. It is essential that the heads of families and households reassert their ultimate authority as judge in all internal family affairs. Households must be declared extraterritorial territory, like foreign embassies. Voluntary yeah. spatial segregation and discrimination must be recognized as not bad, but good things that facilitate peaceful cooperation between different ethnic and racial groups. Welfare must be recognized as a matter exclusively of families and voluntary charity, and state welfare is nothing but the subsidization of irresponsibility. Yeah, so he's, again, saying, like, we want to go back to uh, the family, we want to go back to voluntary exchange and cooperation, voluntary aid rather than relying on the state um, to be doing that. And uh, he's sort of making, like, a decentralization argument here, too, as well, or saying... Well, you know, you have like sort of these um, households of uh, last, uh, I don't know, I don't know if I would say last resort, but like the, these like last remaining like households that are kind of not affected by the state and what's going on in the cities. You have these houses in these rural areas where these are like kind of these last like strongholds of the family. And that is like kind of a white pill because I think uh, that those, so he's saying that they should basically be like ignoring the state. And I think what we're seeing like more and more, especially since like 2020, I think we are seeing that more and more people are at least kind of like identifying like this is the problem over here. The government is the problem. Like that Oliver Anthony song, as, as much as Andy uh, wants to say that it's uh, something different, uh, I think that he is saying Washington, D.C. is the problem here. And, even though, you know, Hoppe is saying, well, I, I think these people need to have like more of an understanding of this and they need to understand democracy, the God that failed. I'm not sure that that's right. Like, I think that Anthony, like at least, even though he, I don't think he has like a firm grasp of what's actually going on here, but just the fact that he's like identifying the problem, becoming popular, a lot of people are seeing that same thing and agreeing with it. I think that is good. Yeah, it's a step is, in the right yeah, direction. Yeah. I, I don't think that it all takes away from Hoppe's point because he's saying that it still takes no. more, but yeah. that does put people down that path, I think. So right. that's something. But all right, man, let's get out of here. Uh, drop your plugs. Tower Gang Toad on Twitter. Uh, we do the Tower Gang pod, uh, both me and Jose and Cole. Clint from Liberty Lockdown and Top Lobster. And I guess maybe not Reed anymore because he hasn't shown <laughs> up in so long. Reed Coverdale. But we do the most offensive podcasts on the planet every Wednesday night. You can find us Tower Gang Pod on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, everywhere pretty much. And we are on Locals if you want to support us. TowerGang.Locals.com, I believe, is where we are over there. And I also do a sports betting show now called Better Off Dead. I dropped a college football week one episode uh, i don't know when this episode is going live but i dropped that uh on thursday morning uh, which was this morning this week so i don't know okay. if it'll be too late for people by then but you mean today okay so you dropped yeah. on the 31st so this will probably go yeah. out about a week from now roughly 
But yeah, yeah I, I have three plays on Saturday the second uh, that I mentioned in that episode. Yeah. Well, all right. Uh, this is the No Way Jose show. You can find me on YouTube, all major art packages, Odyssey, Rumble, Rumble, Rumble. Uh, and then also, if you want to follow me on Twitter, at Jose is where you can get me. Uh, if you want to support me, patreon.com says no way Jose 2020. Make sure to like, share, subscribe, comment. I'll do the, I'll do all that stuff. Boost up in the algos. And with that, we are out. Thanks for coming on, bud. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Peace.